Get to the Root of It is a podcast for the curious health seekers hoping to figure out the root causes of symptoms in order to live a happier and healthier life. We look through the lens of functional and integrative medicine, occupational therapy, yoga, health coaching, and environmental wellness in hopes of sharing valuable ideas that may help someone in some way. We will take deep dives into root causes of autoimmunity and all types of dementia and cognitive decline in order to increase our understanding so that we can reduce our risk and optimize health for ourselves and our loved ones. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical care. We recommend speaking to your own practitioner with any medical questions or health concerns. Thanks for joining the conversation today and holding virtual hands with me as we travel on our health journey together. Hi, I am Laurel Brennan, the host of Get to the Root of It and founder of Root Causology, where I help women optimize brain health and reduce dementia risk by addressing root causes and creating therapeutic partnerships. After you listen to the podcast, if you want to connect, send an email to laurel at rootcausology.com. Laurel is L-A-U-R-E-L at rootcausology, R-O-O-T-C-A-U-S-E-O-L-O-G-Y.com. I look forward to connecting. I'm so excited for you to meet our special guest today on Get to the Root of It. Dr. Cheng Ron is a board-certified internal medicine doctor and the founder of Texas Center for Lifestyle Medicine in Houston, Texas. He was the host of the 2022 Reverse Brain Disorders Summit and is the author of A Doctor's Guide to Thriving in Integrative Medicine, Secrets to a Successful Practice Without Burnout. He is an advocate for developing collaborative business models in patient-focused communication within medical practices and is the president of Physician Transformation Institute, an organization dedicated to ending healthcare professional burnout and mental health issues. Dr. Ron was the co-author of a diabetes reversal book and has spoken internationally on the topics of systems-based changes in healthcare, cannabinoid-based clinical data, and neurodegenerative disorders. He was the primary investigator of former professional football players in concussive injury neuroimaging models and has spoken at multiple national and international conferences on topics of integrative health, business, and execution of public health programs. During the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, Dr. Ron launched an online educational platform using concepts of functional and mind-body medicine to empower patients with different disease states, which can be found at texaslifemed.org, T-X-L-I-F-E-M-E-D dot O-R-G. He is a father of three daughters, a husband to an OBGYN physician and son to parents in both traditional Eastern and Western medicine. Welcome to Dr. Chen Ruan. I'm so excited to have you here today. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Appreciate you. Let me make sure I pronounced your name correctly. Say it for me. Yes, Chen Ruan. You had it. Yeah. Ron. Okay. Awesome. So excited to have you here. Um, let's just jump right in. So tell the audience a little bit about your, your background, your story, what attracted you to medicine and functional medicine. 
Sure, absolutely. So um, I'm an internal medicine doctor here in Houston, Texas, um, CEO of Texas Center for Lifestyle Medicine, where we develop programs in lifestyle and functional medicine for the insurance population, specifically uh, Medicare and, and other government insurances. Um, and the reason I got into it is really because it's my lineage. So I'm really the sixth generation of doctors in the family. Chinese medicine doctor. So I was born in China, came to the U.S. at a very young age. My mother's an acupuncturist herbal specialist. My father, he's an MD-PhD, involved in a lot of research and quite famous for that. So I always kind of grew up in the integrative medicine world, integrating the East meets West. Um, and so not surprisingly, when I went into medical training, that was always my, my value, right? Um, and, you know, after finishing training and going into practice, um, I really got a good look at medicine, the way it's structured, and just had very different thoughts about where it should go. Um, but that's general synopsis of my background. Right. So I think um, other doctors who've transitioned from conventional to integrative and functional sometimes come to that same place where they go into conventional medicine and they they struggle with what they're seeing. Um, was there a, a shift for you where something happened and you said, I, I can't do this anymore? <laughs> um, so for, um, I'm, my stories probably the interest in my story really comes from, um, not the journey of being a medical doctor. I'm, my brain has always been systems oriented, right? I like to create systems. I'm a serial entrepreneur, but in different industries, uh, I know what systems work and what systems don't work. And so a lot of what I think most doctors really experience in the burnout is looking at uh, where medicine is right now. And it's not as fulfilling, but they may have a mystery as to why. You know, For me, um, I know exactly why, um, is that in looking back into, into the medical education system and the way that medicine is right now, the, the value proposition of a doctor is way different than it was just a couple hundred years ago. The, the value of a doctor a couple hundred years ago is a leader. The word doctor comes from the Latin word to teach. So doctor literally means scholar. And I think, um, I think that was what the original intention was. If you actually look at the Hippocratic Oath, which we all took as doctors, it was designed 5,000 years ago this whole construct of what a doctor is, is to be that leader within the community. That's the original design. Um, now that type of description is almost laughable when I tell people that. Um, it's because doctors have really become um, uh, a commodity. Um, we're basically like widget makers after a while. And that's what the doctor training has been is, you know, doing X, Y, and Z, following the guidelines, you know, prescribing medications, um, doing surgeries, so we're, we're it become almost like a factory, right? And I think in the and when Medicare was uh, was created um, in the FDR era, um, a lot of what the government institutions was looking for is data and population health. So whoever owns the data becomes the leader, and that really was taken over by large corporations. So now the doctors do not own the data. We do not run things the way it should be run. Um, and in fact, the way that medical training is right now is, isn't really set up to, to do that. So, um, so I decided that that was what the issue is in the conventional practice 
of medicine, but it's changing. It's going to change fast. Yeah. So I'm very grateful to, to you and you're kind of spearheading this transition, hopefully that grows and grows and grows to make integrative functional medicine part of primary care. Um, and you wrote a book about it to help others. Um, can you share a little bit about the, the, your book, A Doctor's Guide to Thriving in Integrative Medicine, Secrets to a Successful Practice Without Burnout? So what led you to write that book and how is it helping others? So in 2021, um, I hosted a summit called the Physician Practice Automation Summit, where I really learned a lot from the industry leaders. So I didn't just interview doctors. There's lawyers, CPAs, MBAs, MD, MBAs, like you name it, right? So I really got a good look of the perception of what the physician community is supposed to be like from people that are spearheading other different initiatives. And through that, um, and through that process, I realized that that what I've been building at Texas Center for Lifestyle Medicine here is is something that is really cohesive with the transformation of what a doctor is supposed to be. And so the book is really focused on aspects of what I learned in business and in school and what I learned also just failing a lot. I failed quite a bit uh, in my in my career, not just not just in the practice of medicine, but I failed in other different industries as well. So really allow me to realize that 80% of business is psychology. And the way that medical training has allowed doctors to become is the opposite of what they would teach like at business school and stuff like that. It's, it's the complete opposite, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so what happens is that that creates a certain amount of burnout. So the entire premise of the book is to, um, is to have the ability to um, be very brave, I think, in catering to what we physicians really think the medical system should look like and then also create that cohesiveness of, well, what does it look like within your practice? And if you're thinking about exiting medicine, well, why do you think about exiting medicine, right? Is it because you have, there's some sort of hopelessness that's there? So I kind of address all that in the book, right? But I also address, well, how do you gauge yourself? How do you gauge where you are um, in terms of professional uh, acumen, medical practice, et cetera, et cetera, and, uh, and what scale should we really look at? And so I, I, I harness the power of other people in the book as well, um, looking at the cultures of different companies and practices and residencies and fellowships and seeing that the, the cultural development within each organization is, is just not there and the solutions behind it as well. So the, the big thing for me in this book and the reason I wrote it, uh, honestly, is almost a journal to myself. And, and in reality, I really didn't care if people read it or not. Uh, I wanted to, to put myself out there. Um, and in writing the book I'm and releasing it, the first few people who read it gave me amazing feedback uh, is that this is sort of a refreshing look at what medicine should look like. And even though on the cover I talked about integrative medicine, I really talked about all of medicine uh, in general, um, and, uh, and, you know, the, the very last couple pages in the book, you know, I, I wrote a letter to the naysayers, if you will, uh, mm -hmm. and thanking them for, uh, <laughs> for providing all these objections along the way. So I'm able to transform uh, myself. And when I, um, when, when people read it, it's, uh, there's a bit of emotionality that came out of it. That I didn't really expect in the actual feedback of the book. Is that um, is that physicians as a population were terrified, were terrified 
of speaking the authentic negativity, I call it, right? Authentic negativity means that we may feel vulnerable, but we're terrified of saying it. So um, last week, uh, 2023, Medscape data came out looking at uh, looking at the why doctors are terrified of talking about like mental health and stuff like that. And um, and there's there's data on it showing that they're all afraid of the medical board and they're afraid of getting license taken away, which does happen whenever we talk about mental health issues. So 43% of doctors um, who have had thoughts of suicidality, who have had thoughts of depression, uh, are fear the actual medical board. And only 9% seek out actual professional mental health uh, help as well. And, uh, and that's really, really concerning. And so a big part of the burnout is that the system isn't necessarily created for a thriving environment for, uh, for physicians to be. Now, and I talk about physicians, I'm really talking about all healthcare professionals, nurse practitioners, PAs, uh, nurses, um, you know, whoever you are, this, it's not really set up to answer the questions that we as a public really want to know, which is what can I do to optimize my health, not just what can I do to not die. Right. Yeah, I, I can relate a little. I'm an occupational therapist and similar. I, I'm lucky in that sometimes I get 30 to 60 minutes with a client, but it's still based on activity and how many people you can see and um, the same push that we get externally and not not a focus on our own well-being. Not a focus so, at all. And yeah. the part of the lack of focus actually comes from the fact that we're trained not to say anything. <laughs> so, you know, we call it the practice of defensive medicine, meaning that, hey, if you say something, if you, if you stick out, if you're an outlier, then you have the potential to you know, have your hand slapped by multiple different organizations, not just the medical board, mm -hmm. right? Um, and nothing, and, and that has never rang truer since the pandemic, because if you look at the cancel culture and censoring of doctors, that's never really happened before the pandemic, right? And, uh, and you know, what happened to, what happened to a lot of the doctors that have been censored, including myself, I have been censored on social media, uh, for, uh, saying things, which is now common knowledge, <laughs> you know, um, but but if it goes against any sort of grain that that creates even more of a burnout more of a fear structure so last year a hundred thousand healthcare professionals left the health profession a hundred thousand okay that's a lot by 2025 uh 55 of the healthcare force will leave medicine um that's a lot right and so there's there's that's that's a big issue um but it doesn't doesn't necessarily have to be that way yeah so how have your failures um, turned into success? How Talk about how you practice now at the Texas Center for Lifestyle Medicine. Um, what has what has changed over the years since you opened? What have you learned? Oh my gosh, so much. Um, so um, three main things really pop up in my head right now. The first thing is um, there needs to be an establishment of a community. So instead of seeing a medical practice as a medical practice, we had to see it as a community. And uh, if we doctors view medical practices actually as a community of people, rather than me being a doctor delivering you some sort of healthcare, uh, it changes the, the way that we think about how medicine is structured. 
uh, for example, we do a lot of group visits here. We do, um, and a lot of our group visits are really surrounding just patients being heard. We don't have to prescribe anything during those, you know? And people love those visits. In fact, right after this, I'm doing, I'm going to my brain train master workshop where we got to talk about brain health. Um, and, and, uh, and then, and now since pandemic, we have it basically on, on, uh, virtually on zoom. Right. And so that's one aspect that we didn't start in the beginning, but it was really amazing to, to see people thrive in groups. Another aspect that is really important is the way that, that, um, we speak to patients really have to change. Um, what we have to understand is that we have to communicate boundaries first prior to delivering health. And this is what I'm talking about. If someone comes in to me and they're discussing something and this happened yesterday and I have very little knowledge about what they, what they're, what they're talking to me about. Um, I have to just say, Hey, you know what? Um, I am not familiar with this at all. Uh, someone else may potentially provide better, uh, value to discuss this. And that someone isn't me. And that's the boundaries that I create. But at the same time, I want you, the patient, to do well. And I advocate for you. So anything that I can do to help uh, support you within my power, I will, I would love to do because this is your health journey, right? Uh, but the conventionally what's happening is that within doctor-patient visits, the communication is that a lot of doctors tend to downplay whatever the patient is saying because it's, it's technically not within the wheelhouse or they have this, this perception that something, uh, you know, may not work or it's scam or whatever it is. Right. And in reality, the doctors all want the patients to do well, but they don't communicate that way. I'll say, Oh, that's not going to work or X, Y, and Z. Right. But that communication style doesn't necessarily work because it creates a lot of resentment uh, as well. And, and part of the reason is because the doctor is too tied to the patient outcome. This is very counterintuitive. If the doctor is too tied to the patient outcome, if the doctor's emotional belief structures and systems is tied to the success of the patient, that actually creates a massive detriment to the healthcare system. Uh, instead, uh, if the doctor says that you, the patient, are an individual and I have faith in you to do the things that you need to do to make that success in your health, and me as a doctor, I'm just a guide, right? I'm not your hero, I'm a guide. And part of my guidance is this, and you choose whether you want to take it or not. That's what a healthcare system is. And so there in medicine, there's this thing called compliance, which means that, you know, how well a patient uh, complies to a prescribed regimen. The way that we're taught compliance is that, Hey, if you prescribe this, you have to make sure that the patients are doing it and follow up with them. Okay. That's a very patronizing term, <laughs> you know, compliance. And so, uh, but. Instead, if we say that, hey, you know what, these are the tools that, that we have that we can potentially provide for you, and you, as a patient, take all the time you need in the world to figure out exactly which of these tools may serve you in your health journey, the compliance actually goes up when it comes to that numbers, when it comes to uh, looking at statistics, right? People tend to do better. People tend to, you know, do to uh, exercise more, eat better, et cetera, et cetera, is because we are communicating in a system where the patients, uh, where we tell the patients that we have faith in them to do the things they want, and here's the actual tool, right? And so we've demonstrated that here at Texas Center for Lifestyle Medicine. So that's that's a really, really huge factor. I talk about this in the book a lot, um, is the, the communication, you know, has to be there. 
So setting boundaries, setting the communications, putting ourselves as a doctor in terms of a guide rather than we're the hero for you, the patient. And if you don't do what I say, I'm gonna be mad. Well, no, that, that doesn't solve any problems, right? And so, um, so having faith in people, having faith in humans, having faith in patients is absolutely crucial. Yeah, that's awesome. It's very different. And I hope that what you are kind of setting the tone for catches on. Um, it, it's very, it's very Buddhist that, that first statement, I'm a yeah. yoga teacher as well. It's like letting go of expectation. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to lay this, lay this out. Right, right. Um, but you're, right. you're allowing the people in front of you to be empowered. And what I also hear from you is even though you're a teacher, you're also willing to still be a student yeah. and, and to learn from the people in front of you. So you know, when, when the patient hears that, they, that's empowering. You know, um, the, the, the way I, I treat a patient, doctor patient relationship is the way I, I run my companies, um, is that, um, like I'm the CEO of this company, right? Um, when people have, oh, you're the CEO, so you know you have these people who work for you. Like that's not the way I see it. Like I show up for them. They don't show up for me. I show up for them, and I show up for them because uh, I get a lot from their energy. I learn a lot from them. Same thing with patients. You know, the patients aren't compliant for me. No, <laughs> I show up for them. Same thing, right? And so, um, so the so the attitude here is 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 a collaborative approach, but that collaboration has to have a leader. And if I think I'm the solo leader of any relationship, it's just not necessarily going to work out, right? It's got to be, it's going to have a collaboration. So every person that comes into the clinic where I'll telemedicine, uh, you know, my entire staff knows that we, we treat everyone the same way, is that they are the hero of their, of their journey, right? And, uh, and instead of just adhering to guidelines and patterns and et cetera, et cetera, solely, um, well, we have to take all those guidelines that we see in, in modern medicine and apply it to the patient. Well, we're not the one who decide whether we want to apply it to the patient or not. We tell the patient, hey, this is what, what the guideline says. This, the, this is the data that's behind it. If this is something that you feel in your heart that you want to pursue, like that, here, here it is. Right? If, you want to, if you want to take some time, you want to talk to other people, have at it. Not, not a problem with that, right? Um, and, uh, and, and that's how I, I run my organizations. Yeah. So refreshing again, I, I hope, I hope your style, um, catches on and, and spreads. Me too. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, I'm, I'm going to buy your book and I'm going to, I'm going to share it with my own doctor. Cause I think that it's, I just love everything that you've said so far. So I found you initially through the reverse brain disorder summit. Yeah. Um, and so if we can make a, a, a shift and kind of talk about that space a little bit, um, yeah. when you were hosting that, is there anything that you learned that like kind of stood out to you or, um, I mean, the community that I'm in is brain wellness and dementia yeah. prevention. Um, if you were going to share like I don't know your top three to five tips for for optimizing brain health. Right. Just like to hear from you about that. Yeah, yeah, I have a really easy framework. So on the reverse brain disorder summit, we have like sixty something doctors come on, and they're brilliant, brilliant physicians. They're brilliant, right? 
and we have MD, PhDs, Yale, Harvard, like you name it, they were on, right? Um, and it's so fascinating that all the people who are on agree on one thing when it comes to brain health. The most important thing in brain health is relationships. And what I mean by that is that a lot of people in brain health feel very isolated. They feel there's a lot of resentment because people don't know how they really feel. And trust me, I've been there, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and what happens is there's so, well, sort of this mentality that if you don't know what I'm going through, it can create a lot of resentment. But, uh, and then what happens is some things become distracting. Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be on the best diet. I'm going to go into the hyperbaric chamber. I'm going to do, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, far infrared saunas and whatever it is, right? PEMF, whatever it is, right? So uh, people get stuck in the how. And not get stuck in the, not get stuck where they should be, which is identity and, and why, right? And so, if you don't have a support system around you, every brain health person tends to deteriorate, right? And so, um, and I apply this because I used to do a lot of hospice and, and palliative care. So the people who are in, who go through hospice and palliative care, they actually survive longer than the people who don't who go through aggressive medical care. Not because the medical care is bad, it's because Part of being a hospice doctor is that my sole job for that patient is to connect people. I, I called someone in jail with their mother who they haven't talked, who I haven't seen in 27 years, right, before she passed away. And so uh, whenever we see a, a, the relationships develop, um, people naturally will actually become better, you know. The sense of safety, sense of security, sense of significance goes up, sense of growth, sense of contribution. These are ba basic human needs that we all have actually improve and so um so so majority of the interviews we actually start with the fundamentals of what is exactly is needed but but community and relationships are by far the the most important right another thing on brain health is that uh, most people uh, can actually improve the brain health for free and it's called breathing uh, breath is such an important aspect of brain health so there's different breath techniques, deep, uh, soft belly breaths, um, there's mindfulness, meditation, et cetera, et cetera, prayer. Uh, these actually move the needle much further than any supplements you can buy. And even the people who are on the Brain Health Summit who have their own line of supplements, they'll tell you the same thing. You know, we have Dr. Isaac Elias on, you know, and, and with Pectisol C, which is a great product, but he's, and he's like, hey, but first, let's get something straight here. Like mindfulness is, is number one. Right. Without that, like, you know, supplements are actually supplementary, right? Which I agree with, right? And so, uh, so breath and relationships are also free. So people think that, you know, there's some mystical, you know, product that I take to, to improve my brain health. Well, you know, if you can, if you can optimize on breath and relationships, you're 90% of the way there. You really are. And after a while, it may not even matter what your brain health is because your joy and jubilation about life actually improves. And, um, and those are the two things I want people to focus on. I know you said three things, but I just want to talk about two. It's relationships slash community and breath. <laughs> so. that, that's amazing. And you're creating um, a healthy brain space in your own practice because you're yeah. fundamentally supporting community. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So we, yeah, we have support groups within that. the practice that we're actually building out even more. In fact, that's the meeting we had before with the fibromyalgia community here 
um, is that we're gonna we're gonna basically have support systems for people, and so people can be heard, and that's part of our group business too. So people can be heard, and then it's great because you know we take medical insurance, and and uh, people aren't used to having that aspect within you know holistic health, um, but it's something that I think that um, is gonna change the game and change the system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Dr. Ron, how would people find you? Do you only see people who are in Texas or do you see people who are out of state? I want that question answered first for those interested. So, um, yeah, so Texas Center for Lifestyle Medicine, we're, we're an ecosystem. It's not just me. And in fact, if you just call and say, I just want to see Dr. Ron, actually, our ecosystem doesn't work like that. Um, it would actually mm -hmm. fail if people see me. Because I am not here all the time, <laughs> you know. Um, the ecosystem starts as that when you're part of the ecosystem, you're part of the entire ecosystem, right? There's dietetics, there's group visits, there's support systems, everything like that, right? And uh, and this is a model that I'm actually teaching as well. And so I'm teaching other physicians, and I have my own nonprofit called the Physician Transformation Institute, um, and we teach physicians how to uh, adopt systems uh, for the values that, that, that we serve. Uh, right now at Texas Center for Lifestyle Medicine, we're only taking people within the state of Texas. Um, so that's one thing to, to know. Uh, part of it is because we have insurance contracts that are, that are, that are local and that we want to serve. Um, and, uh, but for people who really just want to follow me and the things that I say, find, find me, Chengron, M-D-C-H-E-N-G. R-U-A-N-M-D, Instagram, Facebook, I'm everywhere. <laughs> um, and I'll try to put out as much content as I can on tops of brain health, public health, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I recently found that you have a new community that kind of was inspired after the Reverse Brain Disorder Summit. So yeah, it's being built right now. So the betterbrain.info is sort of the brain community that, um, that's designed as an ecosystem to uh, to get a demand out there of what's really needed in the brain health community. And what I do is uh, I match doctors up with each of the community. That's what we're doing in the back end right now. And we provide content and provide even challenges for people um, to, uh, to get into. I think that there's a lot of information out there, but there's not enough of a collaboration and discussion when it comes to brain health, that's what betterbrain.info serves to do. Okay, fantastic. And and once again, your book is called A Doctor's Guide to Thriving in Integrative Medicine, Secrets to a Successful Practice Without Burnout. So Yeah, and I have a new one coming out. Um, this one is for the general public. Yeah, this one is uh, it's called Unboxing You. <laughs> so it's all about, um, it's based off the fact that Unboxing videos have gone viral in the last three or four years. You know, unboxing PlayStation and, and you know iPhones and stuff like that. Um, but these are material things, and, and in fact, we actually have gifts within ourselves that we should be unboxing. That should be just as viral. So, unboxing you is taking a different look at unboxing videos, or really unboxing within. Oh, I can't wait to see that. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I'm so grateful for you and your time today. Thank you so much for, for sharing your wisdom and for doing what you're doing outside of these 30 minutes that we have chatted today. Um, I'm just grateful, grateful that you're doing what you're doing. Thank you. Well, thanks for giving me a voice. I appreciate it. <laughs>